Pastor Clay's taking a week of rest and relaxation this week. Our Life Group's pastor, Bill Hopkins, delivers this week's message on Crosswalk. Thank you all for being here. I'm always, uh, every time I get this opportunity, I always appreciate all the more. What a great job Pastor Clay does uh, in delivering the Word. And I just pray that uh, even though um, I will not be as, as, as polished, that God's Word is true, and that as, we, as I share that with you, that, that that will be the focus on just what God is saying to us through His Word. Let me read, read the text this morning. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 3. It says, Now in these days, or th- in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The vo- voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for our, this, this time together to, uh, to sing and worship to you. Father, uh, we just uh, celebrate what you're doing in, in our lives and in the life of this church, Lord. Father, that even as we uh, just hear, hear your word, as we, we hear it taught, that you, would, uh, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would help us to, us to learn how to, to worship you with our lives. Uh, to apply it, just to open ourselves up and allow you to, to do your work. Uh, Father God, I thank you for this time. Um, just work through what I say, uh, Lord, that you would uh, interpret into the hearts uh, of the people here through, the, through your Holy Spirit, Lord. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So, John's an interesting, interesting guy, right? Uh, his diet was different. Uh, his clothing was different. Uh, I don't really have time. I want to focus on his message this morning. So I'm not going to talk a lot about, about those things. But just suffice it to say, he lived a, fairly, a very simple life. Uh, his, his clothing was you know, similar to the Old Testament prophets. And we see uh, in the biblical context that John is in the line of the Old Testament prophets, uh, proclaiming repent, repentance. And so he, he, lives, he lives a life that is just very simple, that he might speak to the people, that he, he is out in the desert, and he is living a life just totally devoted to, to the work that God's called him to, the work to be a prophet. And, it, and especially in Matthew's account, uh, it really comes out because of the, the spacing that he is, really, he is the herald for the Messiah, the coming king. Uh, Matthew really gives us this depiction of Jesus as king. 
and there has been a birth announcement, and now an announcement of the coming of the king. A herald would go to a town where the king was going to visit and see his subjects and would proclaim that the king was coming, and it's time to get ready. It's time to make the roads better. It's time to decorate whatever our, the customs of the day would call for for a king. It's time for his subjects to put on, put on their best and be ready for him to show themselves as faithful. So he calls for repentance as the, as the means to do that, to, to make the way for, for the king. Part of uh, understand, understanding uh, his message is tied up in the fact, just the, the, the Jewish culture that he was speaking to. So they had been waiting for, the, for this king that he was proclaiming. They were waiting for Messiah. Uh, he'd been proclaimed hundreds of years earlier through the prophets of the Old Testament. And they were, as uh, Abraham's children, as people who followed the law of Moses, they, they were ready and waiting. They were under uh, the oppression of the Romans and would have desired greatly to see the Roman government be overthrown. They would have had that hope. They would have had to hope for a, a king who would rule righteously. Because if you, if you study back the Old Testament kings, Israel had many kings who were wicked. And people would suffer because of it. Not that, the, not that the people were innocent in it either. So John comes to a people who are hopeful for this king to come and save them from their, their difficulties and trials. Maybe it's to spread prosperity further because many people all struggled. There was sickness, disease, and again, the, the oppression of this government. But the problem is, Sometimes we have to, you know, we have to worry about, you know, have you ever heard, you ever had, uh, if you have children, uh, maybe, maybe one kid is like, you know, you're wishing that, the, uh, that mom and dad would give the other one what he, was, what he had coming, right? You know, I, I've, been, I've, I've been there. I grew up in a family of four. And you go and you tell mom and dad, hey, uh, you know, Sherry or Bobby or Susan, they're doing such and such. And then mom and dad start asking, well, what are you doing? And you find out you're in trouble too. (laughs) I learned not to be the tattletale because oftentimes you're in trouble too. Well, the Jewish people, their hope in part was that the rest of these people, they're going to get what's coming to them, right? All these Gentiles around us, the Romans, or those who have just decided not to follow the law. And John comes and speaks to those, those folks who are either religious or they've, just, they've, grown, they've grown up and they are relying on their, their Jewishness. And he, he calls them to get, get rid of their false hopes. That's the first part of repentance. Repentance rejects false hopes. Because uh, I know the text does not mention hope. But, but the Bible, when you take it into context, the Bible is very much about hope. It is about man being separated from God by a sin and God's pursuit and redemption plan for them through Jesus. And so that's our hope. That's our hope is to be, separate, is to be reunited with God. Now, some people don't even realize that they have that, that need and that hope. 
so they will reject it. But if you all, almost almost every movie you see, you see the theme of redemption, and we just have a longing for stories about redemption of people being being saved or people who failed and then they were uh, restored. We have that longing. We all have that hope. But what is what is our hope in? Uh, The first, the first hope that we need to, re, to reject, and I, I, I see three of them in, these, in this text. The first one, it says that they, they confess their sins. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the first hope that we need to reject. Because even though m- most of us aren't going to puff our chest out, right, and say, oh, look how good I am. You know, I, I'm, I'm this great person, and of course God would, lo- would love me. Of course God would let me into to heaven. Most people wouldn't do that, but what happened, if any of you have ever tried to share Christ, will hear this. People will say, well, I'm not that bad. I do more, I do more good than bad. Or just think, well, you know, man, God's, God's a loving God, and, you know, I try. And we think somehow that who, who we are, the things that we, we do, is going to be good enough. You know, it's kind of just that, I, I'm just, I'm not that bad. And what, what John proclaims to the people is, man, they, they need to realize in, 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 that before God, we are, we are just, as, just sinful. And for, for the Jewish people that he's primarily speaking to, and particularly say, you're kind of in the same boat with those guys, the Gentiles, who you... You believe that God is going to bring his wrath upon them. It's what it's you too. Part of how he, he uh, communicated that to them was in his, his means, his, the symbol of baptism. And we just did baptism last week. Uh, and we understand with the full re- revelation of God that baptism symbolizes our new, our new life in Christ. We, we go down, we die to ourselves, we're risen again to a new life. Uh, John is, is, is baptizing people for repentance, which is kind of this, it's pointing to, to Christ with, without quite the completion of, of, that, of that act. But it's not like it's the first time they've ever seen baptism. John, even though we call him John the Baptist, right, is not the inventor, inventor of the, the idea of baptism, it was already being performed. But here's the way it was being used. Baptism was only used up until John uh, as a means of conversion, a symbol of conversion, for Gentiles to become Jewish. Now, ritual washings and ceremonies was very much a part uh, of the, the Jewish traditions at that time. Especially for people like the Pharisees. They like to do it in front of everybody. They would cut, rinse their hands and stuff. And the idea was... I've probably touched something that's unclean, or I know I have. I've been out amongst people. You know, I've, I've touched something unclean, so something from the outside is making me unclean. And so, you know, you just wash your hands a little, you know, wash parts of the body. Whereas for the Gentiles, well, if you want to become part of the Jewish family, you need to go all the way under the water. Uh, and it, can you see kind of the, the symbolism in, 
an idea here? Well, we're just a little bit sinful, but you're really sinful, so you, you need to go all the way under and get, get clean, right? And it was a one-time thing, just like we practice now with believers' baptism. So, but it, it was a symbol of their conversion. Well, here's John the Baptist. He is baptizing Jewish people. People who thought they were already in good standing with God. Right? And in effect, what he's saying is, you have need to, to become part of the family of God. Only by repentance. Only by repentance and recognizing your sin and your condemnation before God can, can you receive forgiveness. Those who say that they have no sin have no need to, to ask God for forgiveness, do they? So the first, first thing that we need to, to unload is the idea we're righteous. Um, you know, if we are trusting in uh, our own righteousness, we need to understand we don't have any. And we need to admit that before God. So they, they confessed their sins. Uh, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Many, many of you know that, memorize that. The Bible, you learn it very early on in your Christian walk. May have even been shared with you to receive Christ. Uh, that's, a, that's one false hope that people may rely on. Second, verses 7 through 8. If we, we skip that, he says, uh, he says to the Pharisees and Sadducees, you brood of vipers, which is pretty tough. <laughs> uh, it's called, you know, people come out to hear him preach, and he says, a bunch of snakes. You guys probably wouldn't have liked it if I started off that way. Um, and actually, it's even deeper than that. I, I, I really believe just in uh, studying uh, reading some different commentaries, uh, I really find the idea that the word for brood can also mean offspring. And uh, by calling them, you know, basically offsprings of snakes, uh, this suggests that he may, he may be actually a, calling them basically uh, children of, of the devil, children of Satan. Uh, Satan, who was the serpent, uh, cursed to crawl on his bed, belly, a deceiver, that's why I think it really fits with the text for the Pharisees and, and Sadducees. Pharisees and Sadducees are two religious groups uh, it, uh, it, at the time of uh, John and Jesus. And one, one group, you know, they're the like ultra conservatives and they, they're always coming up with new ways that they can make up new rules to follow so that they can impress everybody. The other group, the Sadducees, they're more... Uh, they're a little more liberal. They're uh, perfectly willing to accept the uh, uh, Greek influence that, that's occurred in, in society. They're landowners. Wealthy, they're pr- part of the uh, priestly class. Um, but two, two groups of religious leaders. And he's, he basically calls them out for their insincerity. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, 
You know, you come out for one more ceremony to be baptized, right? It's got to mean something. It's got to change your life. It's got to affect your life. We Spiritual sentiment is not going to be enough. That's, that's the second false hope, spiritual sen- sentiment. Uh, today we actually have lots of people that are very spiritual. I mean, sometimes it feels like, well, everybody's kind of turned to God, but, you know, most people in this country, and that's why, one of the reasons why I think this is a, um, a very meaningful uh, message for us today. Pe- people tend to be very religious. It's not always Christianity. Um, you know, I have, if you, you know, if you follow, you know, Facebook, if you're on Facebook or not, you, and you have a variety of friends, you'll see uh, lots of expressions of different religions, quotes and stuff and pictures. I see it, and people have a spiritual sense. There is a spiritual need. A, they, there's something that's hoped for that these things meet. But John's telling them that sentiment, to just, just that you want to be religious about something, you want to come and you know, be baptized because somehow it's, it's going to have some, some meaning for you. So it's, it's not, if it has real meaning, it will be reflected in your life. Uh, Luke expands on this a little bit in his description of Don, John's teaching. Uh, and he actually just, instead of letting us know that John kind of picks on the Pharisees and Sadducees, in Luke, he just says in the crowds. Uh, and it says, in the, and the crowds were questioning him, then what shall we do? This is what you know, every preacher or teacher uh, wants to hear people say. Is this, is Pastor Clay calls it the so what. Uh, so what? So what do we do? And he would, would answer them and say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, and what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. Now, he's not telling them to do these works in order to earn, you know, earn points with God to be forgiven, things like that. It's not, that's, that's not the point because that would go against the rest of his, his message. Uh, what he's telling them is, that what you say by coming and being baptized, by saying that you, do re- that you repent, if you, if you really mean it, it's going to be reflected in your life, right? It's going to mean a change in life. Uh, this is one of the, one of the great things about uh, our life groups. Uh, it's an opportunity so, so that we can get into smaller groups and we can help each other. We study the Bible. We, if you look out on our... Uh, board for life groups out there, are, we have these five elements. One of them is life directives. John doesn't give us everything that we need to know uh, about how we ought to live. A few things that mean doing for others, giving, being an honest person, uh, not stealing. Uh, but the Bible is our guide. We, call it, we say it's life directive. Uh, so getting into a life group and 
involving yourself in the community of other believers ours who will support you and helping you to experience new life, new life in Christ, uh, will, will help you. So uh, if, uh, <laughs> if you thought at this point that uh, the life group's pastor was going to preach and not mention life groups, then you had a false hope. <laughs> so the people ask, it's just this basic question, what do we do? And the, the, the answer basically is love your neighbor. Be different. Do, do what God has told you to do. Uh, stop going your own way. Do things your way. Don't just make religion something you do on Sunday. You show up on Sunday, listen to a nice sermon, listen to music, and say, man, that, that makes me feel good. I feel comforted. John's message for those uh, who have that attitude is not one of comfort. Third, Spiritual heritage. And I know this close real, real close to this idea of sentiment, uh, but I think there is a little, little subtle difference. But we can also kind of apply both to, in our lives at the same time. Because even though we might recognize that we are sinners, we might try to find other ways to resolve that problem, right? And one of the ways we might allow ourselves to think, well, I'm okay. I don't need to, to repent because I have this spiritual heritage of I've gone to church all my life. I was born in a family that was, I was raised as a Christian. For, for the Pharisees and Sadducees, he, John uh, kind of, you know, he, he predicts what their answer might be, well, we have Abraham for our father. In other words, I'm Jewish. I'm Jewish. It, it, it could be two. I think there's room here for two, two ideas, too. One, that just their, their descendancy, their, the, the genealogy. They were real big on, uh, you know, where, who you were born to and tracing lines all the way back to Abraham. You know, oh man, I can, you know, I can, I can find every single person and there's nobody outside of the, the, the Hebrew people that is in my family line. See, so my, my bloodline's pure. Uh, then there's other aspect of it, I, I believe, which is the following of the law, the keeping of the law. Of We are the people God gave the law to. He gave the law through, through Moses and we, we keep that. And so we have all these rituals and, uh, and things like that to follow. And because of that, we're okay. You know, I go to the temple, I, you know, bring my sacrifice, I do all these things. And I've done all these things since, since I was a little boy. And so I'm okay. And, J- and John's saying, no, it's, it's not. It, it doesn't make you okay. You still need to repent. Because there's still sin, there's sin, in, sin in your life. Uh, The Bible tells us this in Isaiah 1, 11 through 13. What are all your sacrifices to me? Asked the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed cattle. I have no, no desire for the blood of bulls 
lambs, or male goats, when you come to appear before me, who requires this from you? This trampling of my courts. Stop bringing useless offerings. I despise your incense. New moons and Sabbaths and the calling of solemn assemblies. I cannot stand iniquity with a festival. I think that last part is where it really is key because God did give them the law and wanted them to uh, perform the sacrifices and observe festivals. But their heart was not in the right place for it. You know, they, do, they would do these things as if the act of doing those things was the thing that was going to make them right with God when those things were intended to point them to God and affect their life and that they would be reminded of their state of sin and need to follow God's law in, in every way and in the ways that sometimes are harder for us. Sometimes it's easier just to go to church uh, or to go to a life group or, or do a Bible study than to... Uh, you know, make a sacrifice to give to somebody that maybe we don't know or maybe they're a person who has injured us in some way. Uh, and God is telling us to love even our enemies. Um, sometimes it's easier to come to church than to forgive somebody. Sometimes it's easier to, to go to church than to give, to give up something that's very dear to us that we know God has told us that we can't have. And so it's a, we get caught up kind of in this kind of spiritual life that, that, that lacks meaning, and we continue in our sin without it changing our life. So we need to step aside from that. We need to, uh, we need to reject it. We need to reject that, that hope that, Religion of any sort is going to save us. Uh, I have a quote from C.S. Lewis that I, I think is very sharp. Uh, thought on it. Christianity tells people to repent and promises them forgiveness. It therefore has nothing, as far as I know, to say to people who do not know they have done anything to repent of, and who do not feel they need any forgiveness. It is after you have realized that there is a real moral law and a power behind the law, and that you have broken that law and put yourself wrong with that power, it is after all this, and not a moment sooner, that Christianity begins to talk. You know, what he's basically saying is, it's kind of the point, is where, is our our need for a Savior, our need for forgiveness to restore our relationship with God is the point of us being here. And if, if there's some other way, if you have no need, you, you don't recognize that you've offended God, then you really don't need to be here. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm glad everyone's here. And I hope you believe. I hope you are here, just seeking that answer. But you know, frankly, we we could all go to the lake. Don't 
Don't do that next week because <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be on me. But man, I mean, it's the point. It's our need and then the need of other people. And our, rela- our relationship with God is everything. So, so the first thing we need to do is to reject all fal- false hopes. But here's the thing. Uh, try uh, turn, turn your face nowhere. It's right there in your seat. Just turn your face to nowhere, right? Try that. <laughs> oh, you're really puzzled. You can't, right? You're always going, you're always turned in a direction, right? So if you turn away from one thing, you really need something. Turn away from these false hopes, you need one hope, a true hope to turn to. And that's what John always points us to. He, point, he points us to Jesus. Uh, let me read the rest of this, this chapter. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with, with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to, to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my, son, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Uh, I'm pretty much out of, out of time, so I'll have this kind of, kind of quickly. But I think you can, there's three, three credentials of Christ to be our hope, kind of our notarization <laughs> that Charlie Brown wish he had. First is power. They're in verse, verse 11. Uh, he says, he, he is mightier than I. And, and John, John had a powerful ministry. He performed miracles. People, people, the people believed you know, he was a great prophet. Uh, there's even people still today that follow the, the teachings of John. Uh, his power, his, during his life on earth, he performed miracles. He commanded the wind and the waves. He commanded the, the demons. He commanded sickness. He commanded death to demonstrate that he has the power to save. Second, his righteousness. Verse 15 there. Permit it at this time. Talking to John the Baptist. For in this way, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. We have a complete Jesus on that, but it's Christ who does have righteousness. We, have, we don't have righteousness of our own, but Christ is righteous, and he is the perfect sacrifice and gives him the, the right 
to judge us and also to extend mercy and forgive us. And when we place our trust in Him, He basically stands in front. And God, the judge, sees Jesus' righteousness rather than our own. He gives us His because we do not have it ourselves. And last, his, in his birth. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And of course, we could go back to uh, his birth announcement. But his birth, uh, the circumstances of his birth give evidence to the fact of who he was. That he was Messiah, that he was God's son, and that this, he was sent not only to be the king that the Israelites were waiting for, but the Savior, to save people from their sin. Uh, John, in another gospel account, says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what Jesus came for. He came to take away the sin of the world. Uh, And just one... uh, In the garden, Adam and Eve... When, once they sinned, they realized that they were, they were naked. They were ashamed of their nakedness. And so they, they sewed fig leaves together, right? What's the problem with fig leaves for clothing? Besides, they're itchy. Might be itchy. <laughs> they, they dry out pretty quick, right? They crumble. It's not much good for clothing. And God, in his mercy, took an animal skin. And provided clothing for them. And a lot of times, and I've used that, this, this illustration with people all uh, witnessing. It's kind of an odd one to take them back right to the garden like that in some ways. But here's, because so many people say, like, man, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not ready yet because I'm, I'm too sinful. I'm not worthy. I need to clean my life up first. No. God wants to do that for you. <laughs> that's, that's what the, Baptizing you with the Holy Spirit and fire is about. But he provides a clothing, a covering for us that is sufficient. Uh, Last, Ezekiel 36, 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Uh, you know, the, peop- the people that John was to, they, many of them thought that they were okay. And what he taught was, you know, you really, you really need a new heart. You need a new spirit. You need to change your life. You need to make, instead of doing things your way, to do things God's way. And that's what all of us need. A, because Jesus has the right credentials. He is able and willing to save us. By his hand. Pastor Bill Hopkins in for Pastor Clay this week. Pastor Clay's back next week with part seven of the series Heartbeat For Me to Live is Christ and to Die is Gain.